Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hi, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I am your host, Kunle Campbell. And in this podcast, we help e-commerce entrepreneurs and online retail marketers uncover new e-commerce marketing tactics and strategies to help double specific e-commerce growth metrics in your online store, like conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic, and ultimately sales. If you're an e-commerce entrepreneur looking for proven tactics and strategies to help you increase traffic and conversions and and profits, you're in the right place. Two very experienced experts are here to share how their very seasonal hamper online business, Virginia Hayward, gears up digital marketing for the extremely busy Christmas season. I have Sam Hayward. He's the sales director of Virginia Hayward, the hamper company. And Justin Wormsley, he's the digital marketing manager of Virginia Hayward. Welcome to the show, Sam and Justin. Could you introduce yourselves, please? Hi, Kunle. It's Sam Hayward here. As you Hi, say, Sam. I'm a director of Virginia Hayward, which is a family business, 30 years old this year. Congratulations. Um, Thank you very much. I uh, have a background as a chartered accountant, but have been working in the business now for 13 years uh, on the sales side. Well, that's a long time. That's a, an awful long time. And um, are, are you technically inclined? Do you, given that operations have been online for, for a while now? Justin might answer that question differently, but I'd say I'm reasonably technically minded. I can keep up with the conversations and contribute occasionally. Good, 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 good. And Justin, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Sure. So my name's Justin Wormsley. I've been at the company now for two and a half years, so going into my third Christmas. Okay. Uh, My background primarily is in SEO and search engine marketing tactics, so PPC, SEO, those types of customer acquisition tactics that we use. Great. We speak the same language. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I I read I read something over um, on your website. I'm um, talking about 95% of your sales coming in only seven weeks, pretty much between November and October. Could you expand on that? That's fascinating because um, normally in e-commerce it'd be about 50 or 60% for traditional e-commerce businesses, you know, coming except for exceptions like toys. But um, this is quite peculiar, 95%. Could you just break it down a bit, um, Sam? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have a, we do have a strange profile because a lot of our digital customers are corporate customers for a okay. start. And the, and the unusual factor about our business is that most of our customers only order from us once a year, right. which makes marketing to them very challenging, but also means that stock control, cash flow, and other business challenges also are born out of that. But mm. uh, it's a fact that hampers really are a Christmas gift, much Absolutely. as we try to change that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, 
I, I'm fascinating clients you have. We have John Lewis, there's Waitress, Selfridges, Costco, FunkyPigeon.com, Interflora, and the House of Parliament, their, their shop. How, how, how is business going from the wholesale? Could you give us an idea of the share of corporate versus uh, consumer in, in terms of the share of, of revenue um, in, in the business? How, how does that play out now? We're probably about 75% wholesale business and 25% retail. And on the retail side of the business, about 70% of our customers are corporate. Okay. Okay. So um, do you recall your first online sale? How long has Virginia Hayward been, been online for? That's a good question. I think okay. our first we first started transacting on uh, online in the late 90s. Certainly, we've had a transactional website for longer than I've been in the business, which takes it back to pre-millennium times. Okay. 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 And um, have you had any memorable sales online in, in the online store? Uh, we have. Um, okay. We one of the first moments of um, surprise was one of our first pay per click campaigns five or six years ago, right. where we received an order for about one hundred and twenty thousand pounds within the Whoa. first week of that campaign. Okay. We thought life was easy at that point, but unfortunately, that turned out to be the exception rather than the norm. <laughs> when um, was this? Two thousand, the early two thousand. Oh, no, that was, uh, yes, a, bit, a little bit more recently than that, probably 2006, 2007. James Bond is also one of our customers. <laughs> I can't tell you which one. One of, one of them is one of our one online of customers. One of them. That's, that's fascinating. That's really, really interesting. Right. So well, I'm going to start out with the fact that the, the obvious thing, hampers are seasonally inclined, you know, um, gift or item or product. And so could you give us an idea of the build up from an operational standpoint, um, Sam? And then afterwards, Justin, could you also give us an idea of the build up from an advertising and a digital marketing standpoint of, of how you start, when you start to market and um, how it builds up to momentum till, till December, please? Okay, well, if you were to look at our business calendar, if you like, January okay. is spent clearing up the previous Christmas. Customer service issues do arise in January, which we which we mm. try and sort out as promptly as we can. We'll be having a look at putting in place our strategic plans, both from an IT perspective and also operationally during the month of January. And we'll be starting to think about our ranges and potential commercial considerations along those lines okay. at that time. January to March, April time is spent spending a lot of time with suppliers, looking for new range development, okay. putting together new ideas for what we might do the following season in terms of product. And then we actually start put those together. We, we buy the componentry and we start packing hampers in earnest at the beginning of August each year. So we'll pack for five, five months solidly right the way through to Christmas. The marketing side of it, I'll pass over to Justin. Okay. Sure. So post-Christmas for me is quite a busy time, as I'm sure you can imagine. We go through all of the website metrics, all of the sort of sales metrics. Yes. Um, they are both online and offline sales. Mm -hmm. From that, we put together a, an analysis, a seasonal analysis. And from there, that then informs our um, strategy going forward for the next 12 months or certainly for the next Christmas period. So that will normally finish by the end of January, early February. And from then, really, we start cracking on with the campaigns, actually sort of to put some meat on the bones and start to generate the content and the campaign materials that we'll need. Okay. If there's any technical considerations from a new technology perspective, then we'll be getting the our website developers to sort of quote and cost and obviously start to perform that development on the website. So that come the season again for us, starting in September, we the website is you know got all the uh, the, the um, bells and whistles that it will need to take us through to that through that Christmas period. 
the majority of the year for us is working up until the 1st of September, which is that the that the season really starts. So both online and offline activities will start from the 1st of September. So brochures will start to be delivered. They'll start to land with our corporate customers to begin with mm-hmm. and moving into our private customers. But also we start to build up our web presence. So we're looking at the PPC campaign starting mm-hmm. to just tick over a little bit more. We we sort of keep them a little bit sort of silent. Not silent, that's the wrong word. We, we calm things down throughout the, the off-season for us. Yeah. But we start to build things up slowly in September, really moving up until November where things like PPC, SEM tactics really start to to take effect. But it's good to good to have the presence. If there's any issues we can we can start to iron them out early early in the season so that we're not hit with an issue, you know, peak season for us, which would be extremely detrimental as well. So you can be aware. And interesting. Quite quite interesting. So so from from the months of about January to, to August, September, there's a lot of background planning from a marketing standpoint, from a marketing and IT standpoint. And then from October through to December, you're, you're out there. You push yourself out there built based on the momentum you've built over from January to, to, from actually February to, 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 to August or September, because January is all about analysis. That's, mm. that's very, very fascinating. So are there any key channels that you use from a digital marketing standpoint? Any key customer acquisition channels? Channels you you want to share with with the audience in, in terms of um, that that are quite vital and when you start planning it when, when do you start planning the, the most important so in, in order of priority what, what are your top three customer acquisition channels from from, from a marketing standpoint and, and when do you start to, to 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 put them in effect you know to start to get the, the levers going to, to, to towards the the October the last quarter of the year um, well I'll start by answering that in terms of giving you an outline and me. But um, it's important in terms of our uh, acquisition channels. Natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. Okay. In terms of, obviously, that is an ongoing, that's an ongoing challenge for the business, continually trying to boost our natural search position through judicious link building and mm. through careful use of content. Mm-hmm. So that would be the first and most important channel from our point of view is it internal uh, or do you do you outsource content creation to to to, to other companies to to manage the, the content for you to produce and um outreach uh, the- we create we we have done both over the years um, okay. but currently we're following an internal strategy on that front okay so both sarah and Addison, who work on our content creation brand management and pr are looking to produce relevant content and to put it in the right sort of places okay Secondly, we uh, and Justin's already alluded to this, but we we have a pay per click campaign which which continues throughout the year, very low levels in the earlier in the earlier months of the year to keep our um, to keep our relevancy up, and then that's obviously heightened in the last quarter as as our conversion rate improves on that channel. And the third main area would probably be affiliate marketing, um, which okay. we found which we found has been a, an interesting growth area over the last few years. What network are you on, uh, Justin? Yeah, we're we're actually on a couple of networks. We're on affiliate windows and okay. we're also on web games. And web games, okay. And w- yeah. Which which is which is more 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 productive and effective. Where, where are you finding more gains? Affiliate windows. Affiliate windows uh, is our, our primary affiliate um, yeah. platform. Uh, I used to be an affiliate on there. Quite fascinating. So, so three key areas are SEO and content, PPC and affiliate marketing. I'm I'm going to sort of dig deeper in, in each of them from, from an SEO and content marketing standpoint, how have you, are you seeing a convergence of PR 
with with SEO and, and content marketing? And if so, how significant is it? Is it is it really tied in, or do you, do they still work independently? So, from my perspective, yeah. I think you think probably know the answer, couldn't they? But. Uh, a huge sort of convergence and sort of joint process almost for SEO and PR these days. I think that the two go hand in hand very well. If you take SEO to well, three, four years ago now, you could be a, a geeky techie guy sat in an office somewhere and uh, the, the tactics that you would be employing wouldn't have much of a sort of human element to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, you know, the, the SEO landscape has changed so much with Panda and Penguin mm-hmm. that uh, you really do need the human element to go out there and, and build the links via a, a strong outreach strategy um, and that inevitably revolves around the people and people. building those relationships exactly exactly because um prior to the penguin and panda so, so, so two p from, from my observations in the industry and pr industry some pr agencies are verging more towards media they're into well, TV and um, experiential type marketing, and others are more inclined to to focus on digital. And there, there's some hybrid PR and SEO companies starting to emerge, which is quite fascinating. And you know, as you just rightly said, um, people are most important. You know, how are you going to hit those audiences? How are we going to get into? How are we going to reach out to big platforms to to distribute our content? And and that's where the leverage point starts to happen. Okay, and, and it starts to just snowball. It's it's a momentum. What the the other question I had is in regards to PPC. I um prior to this interview, I I um I was, I was having a look at your stats. I just you know to put into the Google keyword tool Christmas hampers, and then I looked at the seasonality. And um, in September, you expect to to have just under ten thousand searches for the word for the phrase christmas hampers and then that turns to doubles to twenty two thousand in october and then yep. that triples to sixty thousand in in november and almost doubles to just under a hundred thousand in december how, how do you cope with ppc you know and that's just one keyword i can imagine what the generic word hampers you know <laughs> it would be like and, and that could be you know quite substantial over the year so so how do you prep up with competition some of your your customers actually sell hampers online with the ppc campaigns mm-hmm. how, how do you sort of balance um your presence online you with um your wholesale and competing with your clients in, in the ppc space in terms of conflict of interest Sure. So from a, from, from a customer segmentation perspective, mm-hmm. we, we don't do that on through PPC, um, through the paid channels at all. We okay. are quite happy. We're not specifically targeting wholesale customers via, via PPC, okay. uh, nor are we specifically excluding, you know, excluding them or we our, our strategy for that is if you're typing in Christmas hampers, we really need to be appearing within the top Absolutely. three to four positions, regardless of if you're a wholesale customer, if you're a, a huge corporate, or if you're just uh, Aunt Sally looking to buy a hamper for her for her nephew. So we're, we're, we're really happy to, to attract as many or acquire as many customers as we can through that channel. With regards to the, the increase in search volumes throughout the season, mm-hmm. we, as I said, for the for nine months of the year, we pretty much keep things calm. We remain on PPC, so we always have our PPC presence, which helps with our quality score. Mm-hmm. One of the worst things that we believe that you could do is to switch off your PPC account, Absolutely. so let it go totally. 
totally die off for nine months of the year, ready to start again. So we, we believe that Google likes to see an all-year-round presence. Absolutely. With that in mind, we reduce the cost per click so that we are not overbidding, which obviously means that we drop down the rankings a little bit, the, uh, mm-hmm. the paid search rankings a little bit. But it means that we build on that quality score and that when the season really does take effect for us, we're not the newcomers in the PPC world. So we can reasonably quickly start to up the cost and become competitive without having to start from scratch. Very, very interesting. So, and um, it, from from a conversion standpoint, is is your do, do you? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase the the question. There there have been two significant PPC um, PPC features that have been introduced over the last two years that mm-hmm. that um, seem to be that seem to have a significant effect on bottom of the funnel traffic one is remarketing mm-hmm. and um the other is product listing ads are sure. you active do you have an active strategy in in both or um are you purely in, in the text-based search for for more mid funnel or, or top of the funnel traffic no we we like to use the pay pay tactics across across all sort of channels to be perfectly okay. honest so we first adopted remarketing last year so just using google's double click campaigns you know just as a sort of putting our dipping our toe in the water so to speak but that proved to be um, to be a good a good choice and a good strategy to employ so we'll certainly be retargeting again this year mm. we see that more when we're looking at the analytics and when we're going through uh, page search channels the assisted conversion sort of reports that we get from the back end of google analytics are mm-hmm. really important for us and mm-hmm. seeing how those types of channels and the multi-touch points that our customers have for us is really crucial so when we first put in retargeting last year or uh, last season yeah. although we weren't seeing direct conversions from retargeting or from the banner of the display ads we um, certainly saw an uplift in touch points and how that played a part in uh, in the conversion channel for paid search traffic. What's the average um, in terms of touch points? I mean, it really does depend upon the the type of the type of contact that any individuals had if they are a customer or if they're new to us if they are new to us they've never never seen us before you'd normally be talking around sort of four to five different touch points before they convert however our existing customers they normally convert reasonably quickly within a two to three yeah absolutely direct as well yeah I have a question. This is quite fascinating. I was just thinking about it. In terms of the, the touch points you're recording, do you, are you seeing, do, or do you find that by December, when, you know, the, the sense of urgency is quite high, the touch points actually start to, to reduce because people don't really have that wider window to, to, to not make a decision? It's something that we don't have any analysis on that we've not. Well, we do have the analysis for it. Uh, it's nothing. It's, it's a report or it's a KPI that we're not actually monitoring. Mm-hmm. However, I would be inclined to agree with you that, yes, we do see people. We do see an uplift in sales, obviously, the closer to Christmas that we get. And we will start to see conversion rates increase across all channels the closer we get to Christmas. And yes, the the path lengths and the interactions that people have will be much shorter, or at least their time to purchase will be shorter. 
character. So they may come back one or two times. However, they will do that in a in a smaller window. Smaller, yes, and that's reflected can in yeah. some of their other shopping habits too. They will not shop around between different suppliers to okay. the same extent, and they're perfectly happy to accept an alternative to the original hamper that they wanted to buy in the first place if it's out of stock. So okay. you see, a, you do see a more pressing requirement for the customer to convert the sale during that during that month. Exactly, and it'll be interesting to also see what conversion rates are. You know, month and month. Okay, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go into a, a question about affiliate marketing and SEO. It's kind of like a mishmash um, um, question, and it's it's in regards to how you tend to with with the issue of Google Penguin. A lot of I'm finding a lot of websites and online tailors e tailers are starting to quote unquote clean up their affiliate links. Are you finding any issues with with affiliate links and getting any potential penalties, or are you letting it go by just um, pass? Sure. So it's it's a question actually. It's something that the team we all discussed approximately sort of four months ago now. Yeah. In that a large proportion of our backlink profile is made up from affiliate links. So it has got us thinking. I mean, unfortunately, the affiliate market has become saturated in very poor quality websites, low mm-hmm. authority websites mm-hmm. that are almost fly by night websites, as I call them. It's very quick to, to get set up, and they can be incredibly detrimental to a website's website's backlink profile and presence. Mm-hmm. So, so it's something that we have, have been looking at. Interestingly, um, when what? we looked at our... Oh, go on, oh, so we're losing you, but you're back. Sorry. So when we looked at our affiliates, we went through and we looked at the sales that have been generated by the affiliates over the past three-year period. Good way. And off the back of that, we decided the affiliates that we wanted to keep. And off the back of that, we actually went through and culled quite a number of our affiliates just because they'd been on the network for a very long time. They were using, they were sending links to us and they they were poor quality websites. So mm-hmm. we took a fairly harsh uh, retail approach to it in that if they hadn't provided a sale with us within the past three years, then they weren't worthwhile being an affiliate for us. One of the other tactics that we did look at was to to contact all of them via the platforms and ask them to no follow us. Mm-hmm. However, as you know, from backlink removal processes and things like that, I'm sure the outcome of that would have been uh, would have been fairly fruitless. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, and uh, so you just have to disavow, I guess, eventually. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Just disavow, disavow at a domain level as opposed to a link level, exactly. or remove them from the affiliate from your affiliate program. Exactly, exactly. And so, so how significant is affiliate marketing revenue to to the online operations of a business? Sam, is that a question you'd like to answer? Uh, yeah, fair enough. It's a growing part of the business. It's a, it's taking a growing share, but the overall share is a very small one, actually. Over the last couple of years, we've doubled our affiliate income which has been good but it's come from quite a small base okay. we do we do see it very much as a growing element though of our marketing mix the you know justin often refers to the the growth of the savvy shopper who will look for cash back or absolutely the voucher use, codes absolutely who will, who will shop using voucher codes and um in that respect we have seen them take a, a, an increasing part of our business which we're very happy about okay we get we get reasonable retention from those customers and they obviously continue as as sort of direct customers to the brand so rather than even though they've come through a different channel to start with so um that's you know seen as a very positive part of the marketing mix quite interesting my previous guest um gary ingram he he runs the store diamond the diamond store and he he takes an, an opposing 
um, view to to this. And um, he he tried the voucher code thing, obviously because I guess it's a quite luxury item, and um, they have he, he can sell over the year, and he he had to pull out um, all voucher code sites to to make it exclusive i think but it's interesting in terms of the growth here with 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 your business okay yeah so i'm going to move into um customer service which um is quite an important um um, part of the business as i i i would have thought i read another blog post which is quite good from from your blog in regards to at a particular time of the year you start to to bring in new hires for the customer service team and i, I would think it'd be the october september period could you shed some more light on, on that please so. yes of, co- of course we can the we have um a reasonably small contact center team but mm-hmm. the and we have two full-time members of that look after customer services throughout the year uh, okay. as well as doing other as well as doing other things it has to be said mm-hmm. the customer service team does build up significantly probably more towards the middle or end of november actually because okay. although we're busy selling in september and october a lot of the parcels won't actually be dispatched until december and therefore although although we have an order book customer services re- requirement is quite slim until we get sort of into the early part of december okay for the corporates sorry for 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 both for individuals and corporates actually but the um as a brand and as a business we really value customer service highly we've been through a rebranding process during the course of the year and one of the first parts of the navel gazing process we went through Mm -hmm. was to decide really whether we were offering a product or a service as Mm -hmm. as a company and the overwhelming conclusion that was although we offer both really the service we offer to our customers is actually more important than the product itself Um, a lot of our customers who are organizing corporate hampers are doing so as a one-off and it's Mm -hmm. not part of their regular job they are organizing staff gifts for the rest of their colleagues and it's something they really do want to ensure goes as smoothly as possible so proactive and interactive customer services from our point of view is absolutely critical to ensuring that 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 does work for them it's quite interesting i i I just I would have to rehydrate it. Ultimately, you, you, you're offering a service, you know, um, as compared to, to a product. The question has got, my question has got to do with, is the approach to customer service for the corporates slightly different to the approach to, to the consumer market, which predominantly comes from the website? No, not really. As a, as a business, I think we take every single inquiry I mean, you know, it could be that a corporate has sent out 100 hampers to 100 different addresses. Mm. One of those, one of those hampers being broken or lost is treated in exactly the same way as, you know, it would be in terms of Justin's example of Aunt Sally sending one to her nephew. If that parcel gets lost, that's just as important to us. So each individual, we, you know, each individual inquiry that comes in either via the telephone or via the email channel is dealt with in the same way, proactively and quickly, hopefully. And we offer a we offer a no quibble type service to our customers. It's interesting. And are you seeing a connection between the the service you provide and repeat business? Definitely, because okay. the service we provide is the primary driver for it. The hampers themselves, you know, innovatively put together, and, and we think that they hit the mark in terms of the aesthetics of them and the price points and the value for money. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's easy for any of our competitors to replicate, really, and they can always be within one year of whatever we've done the previous year in terms of product development. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's the service, it's the customers knowing that we will deliver year after year. And from that side of things, although our private retention rates are much lower, our 
our corporate retention rate is about 70% a year, which we're very oh. proud of. And that and that comes from the service that those customers are getting. Phenomenal. Your record in um, Tony Shea of, of Zappos in um, Delivering Happiness, his, his book, which um, they focus on service. They focus on um, making their employers employees happy happy people and in turn happy employees um actually you know um serve happy customers and they're happy to customers and um he is he's, he's all about culture and um and, and customer service he you know he, he he purports that um customer service is the holy grail of e-commerce and um yes you're it's you're, you're in the same line um let's talk about email marketing um how fundamental is is email marketing um particularly to to generating repeat sales for the e-commerce business what, what i see quite quite often is well when people tend to send out email shoots um there's a disprop there's, there's a disproportionate um amount of sales coming in from email as compared to other channels but you know all the other channels kind of funnel in the the customers initially and then you know email tends to 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 nurture them all through through the funnel so so what what's your experience with customer retention and emails yeah, having an email strategy is absolutely critical. One of the main building blocks of our retention strategy. We actually tend to use it more as a retention tool than an acquisition tool. We found over the years that actually generating a return on investment from cold email lists has been very difficult to achieve. And where we have bought cold email lists, they tend to work better when they're supported by hard copy marketing as well. So if an email is fine or a series of emails are fine, if they're backed up with a brochure, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, eShots themselves, we have I can't even think of a single campaign where we've generated a positive return on investment from that. But emails um, are critical in terms of communicating with our existing database. We use that tool regularly. We use it seasonally, obviously, because we try not to intrude too deeply within our customers' vision during out-of-season times. Mm-hmm. We, we will we will touch base with them maybe around Father's Day, Mother's Day, and Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, we try and keep our powder dry to run a fairly coherent and quite repetitive campaign in the last quarter of the year where we're able to promote voucher codes Mm -hmm. and early bird offers Mm -hmm. able to let them know about flash sales able to remind them that we can still deliver that those are all communicated largely via e-shots which are supported by our social media interesting and i was actually going to go into your facebook page right now but um how does this connect with social media in terms of your email marketing and um customer retention we try to reflect the same messages on both mediums so we try and ensure that the social media both what we're tweeting and what we're putting onto our facebook page is reflecting the same message that is coming across via e-shots occasionally Mm -hmm. we'll do do extra supplementary bits on facebook or little competitions or other things that may not appear to our whole email database Mm -hmm. generally speaking we have struggled via social channels to generate certainly to generate meaningful revenue streams we have managed some customer interaction via that and it is a great medium for competitions and the like Mm -hmm. but overall uh, whether it's due to our seasonality or whether the whether the demographic of our customers isn't quite right being so corporate social has been is something that we feel that we ought to be involved in and we are participating in and trying to do as well as we can but it's been quite a difficult channel for us i'd like to ask ask um justin about um the 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 view from a multi-attribution perspective as to social media is it is it part of a touch point 
It is part of a touch point. However, okay. we see it sort of very low down when we're looking at sort of all of the touch points and assisted <laughs> conversion paths and conversion paths. We do see it. We do see some levels of interaction, but as Sam said, it is very, very low. One of the other issues that we struggle with, and I believe most retailers would struggle with through social profiles, is uh, customers that are only interested, almost similar to a savvy shopper, they're interested in the competitions and they're seeing what they can get from a company as opposed to having sort of real brand loyalty or following that brand via their social channels for informative purposes. Yeah, so so we do, as Sam says, we, we do struggle to see a positive return on investment from a social, but we are active and when we're looking at the marketing mix of a whole, you know, it does play it does play a part. We, um, you know, it, it is a, an area that has its own strategy that we put together that would be missed if we were to to stop doing it. Absolutely, uh, um, I can't quite recall who put it in 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 this way, and he said, um, "Your social media channels are basically what the telephone." used to be that they're a channel to reach out to you and only that it's public on, on the internet and it just shows that you you exist as a business and um you know when, when updates come you know through the year people know you exist and when they're they're in that buying phase along with um your remarketing i believe it should um it plays a part in in the brand and the brand awareness with customers typically sure. social Social conversions are less than five percent, you know, and a whole direct social conversion. So, so yes, I, I I do see where you're you're coming from. Okay, it's quite interesting. Very very interesting, guys. Um, so um, I have a, a curveball question here for you. How important is is traffic, and which would you rather have? Would you rather have more traffic, or would you rather improve conversions of your existing traffic? If if you were to keep traffic exactly as it was over the last year. Would you want more traffic, or would you want to improve your conversions? That's definitely a question for Justin. Can I? I can't wait to hear. I can't wait to hear what he says. Sure. So I think it's a, a, a great question. What I I'd probably rephrase that very slightly. Okay. Um, and for us, I, I believe we have the ability to do that in that we're pretty proud of our conversion rate. We we don't you know we're we as I say we're pretty proud of our conversion rate. We don't really see conversions being a being a huge issue for us. Okay. Um, so to answer the question, traffic is more important to me. However, I'd caveat I'd caveat that by saying quality traffic Relevant is more tra- important. Absolutely. Relevant traffic, yeah. absolutely. Anybody can go out there and get a huge amount of sessions Tons and visits tra- going to a website, but if they're if they're not relevant quality traffic, then the conversion rate will ultimately Drop. dip as a, as, <laughs> exactly. a, as a consequence. Exactly. Good answer. Good answer. Okay, I see. Just to, to, to go back to customer service, I see on your website you have a 96% um, gold-trusted FIFO status. That's pretty difficult to to achieve how did you achieve it and how how's that impacting on conversions and your business today well in terms of how we achieved it i think that's the easier part of that question to answer in terms of i believe that we have proactive customer service approach we photograph our products fairly we are a try to ensure that the customer gets exactly what they want and when they want it. Okay. That has 
taken a lot of there are a lot of controls in place to make sure we're producing the right products we where we have a problem we always upwardly substitute for the customer and hopefully that ensures that we receive a a positive response from those who do respond to the e, the fifo email after they've received delivery of their hamper hmm. a lot of people don't respond to the fifo you know a percentage of responses on fifo is is actually about 10 percent of business and the reason for that is a, a huge majority of our customers actually send the product they bought from us to someone else they may not have even seen the hamper so they rely on the phone call or the thank you letter that they may have received from the recipient but may not have seen the product themselves and therefore don't perhaps feel as comfortable filling in a feedback form as they might otherwise feel how much of an effect that has on our conversion and in terms of trust for our customers coming at or new or new visitors to the site is very difficult to say but we do believe that that badge does have an effect it does have a stamp of trust about it of confidence about it we are very proud of it we do work hard to ensure we respond to any negative comments that appear on our fifo feedback again as a as an opportunity to demonstrate to not only the person that's made the comment but also those that are reading it that we are really here we really do listen to what our customers tell us both good and bad mm-hmm. especially the bad and i believe that does have that does have a mark or does have a does have an effect in terms of increasing our conversion in the future or at that time interesting interesting um a lot of and, and how long have you been on, on fifa for i think probably four to five years probably five. quite a long time well okay. we've been early early earlier into that than than not it would be quite a long time interesting it's good okay the next set of questions we've got to do with sales and revenue i was having a look at um your your um your financials in the company house, um, which is obviously public, from the looks of things, you're pe- from from the looks of things, you appear to be a ten point six plus million business a year. My question is, and um, from what you said prior, about thirty forty percent um, is online. So, how do you intend to grow um, to to a twenty five million to double your business in essence over you know in, in sales over the next? Where, where do you think that the growth is is going to come from, if if that was a target for for the business? That's a really good question. The we've been very fortunate through quite difficult economic times over the last few years. The hamper market as a whole has grown. And as we move forward, perhaps a little bit more optimistically than we have been in the last few years, I am hopeful um, that the corporate base of customers that we have will be more inclined to reward their staff and to incentivize their staff and customers mm-hmm. through an increased amount. of. So we are hoping that as we move forward, as we move forward over the next two or three years, that the market will continue to grow and that for corporates, they will, they will see that as, as something that they will wish to do and we hope to be in the right position from a marketing point of view to take advantage of that we obviously would continue to look at the market for any opportunities in terms of competitors if that became relevant it probably isn't at the moment but there there is only a small niche of um, companies that work in this sector and we're you know we we do talk to each other i try to talk to our competitors and we have mm-hmm. a good open dialogue with them uh, where at all possible and we try and share some best practice and fraud information and other Mm -hmm. bits and pieces that would mutually be beneficial to all of us and so that's really how we how we look to grow we would like to be we'd like to improve our search engine optimization we Mm -hmm. would like we are developing a new website in the next year that will be will enable us to be a lot more comprehensive in our offerings to our customers and a Mm -hmm. lot more use our data and more intelligently potentially to improve our marketing mm-hmm. you can never really stop you know it, it's once you stop you go backwards and um so we'll continue to try and follow best practice we'll invest 
heavily in marketing and try to provide the best service, the best product, um, and to do it in the most efficient way that we can to enable us to grow. Okay, am I right in, in, in concluding that more of the growth, you reckon more of the growth would come from corporate? Yes, but we don't necessarily market as well as we can to a massive personal population. That tends to be a more, Justin's alluded to this, it's a more fickle part of our database. Mm-hmm. We tend to find that customers drift in and out of buying hampers. They don't tend to have the same retention rate as the corporates and they don't, they're not on the same scale. So there's a lot more, it, it's, it's harder marketing. You can hit things right from a corporate corporate market point of view and actually you can convert a lot of hampers very quickly average order value <laughs> is massively high yeah. so, so um, ten thousand to two hundred pounds is, is significant too. we've seen with some of our customers who've moved from say some of them would have been more like 50 percent, 50 percent between corporate and personal mm. five to ten years ago are now much more 70 80 percent personal and they have grown you know they have grown their businesses whilst doing that so there's something for us to learn from that too mm. i will be using you guys to, to send out um hampers to my clients for sure okay well, yes <laughs> yes no worries. so um multi-channel e-commerce amazon amazon has grown some businesses exist only on amazon um they're just amazon sellers i see you you sell through amazon do you is it an, an fba fulfilled by amazon um agreement you have there or arrangements you have there or do you just use it as a shop front for for some of your hampers the answer to that has been actually all three types of Amazon account we have used in the last 12 months. So we have under different brands, we have 3P accounts selling them, using it as a shop front. We, that's partly by history and by acquisition that we've inherited those. We used Fulfilled by Amazon last year as a marketing channel, which was perhaps less successful than the, than the Vendor Central model, which we also use. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Do you see any growth in Amazon or... Um, yes, okay. we do. You do. Um, do. Yeah, we do. And it's one of those. It's it's a part of our. Again, it's another part. Of, it's another marketing channel, and we're looking to explore and to you know to use as many channels as we can to get the hampers onto the market. Uh, absolutely, because um, you know, so, some for some industries, it, it's just not workable. Um, in, in the jewelry industry, for instance, it's twenty five percent commission. So so um, people are just put off jewelers are put off and on Amazon. Okay, um, final set of questions. What does e-commerce success mean to, 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 to you as a, as a business? Justin, do you want to have a go at that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So if I, if I was summing that up, I'd say e-commerce success would be a year-round profitable business mm-hmm. that was customer-focused, mm-hmm. that breeds exceptional brand loyalty, um, and mm-hmm. then generates repeat business. So customer-centric yeah, customer-centric, yeah, yeah, impossible business. It's all about the people. It's all about the people. It's all about our customers and, customers the, uh, exactly. and the employees here. Okay, okay. From a seasonal standpoint, what is one marketing channel you advise e-commerce entrepreneurs to take seriously? This is from like entrepreneurs going into a similar business in terms of seasonality, where there's seasonality involved. What would be the single... I know it's a it's a tough one to to give, but but um, where where would you advise say um one million or two million revenue businesses at the minute, or you know five million revenue businesses looking to to grow um, to to focus on? I would hmm, that's a difficult one. I would answer that a slightly different question, and I would say that I think a broad mix of marketing channels is critical for any business. Mm-hmm. 
the most important thing thereafter is to be able to measure and to understand where your customers come from and to be able to direct revenue over a longer period of time, including remarketing costs, mm-hmm. against that stream to be able to fully understand where, where you are marketing profitably. That's good. Good answer. Good answer. Justin, do you have anything to add there? Um, I suppose from my standpoint, I'd look at it at a little bit more sort of at, at a basic level. Mm-hmm. I, I think Sam's answer was great, though. But uh, I'd suggest don't, or my piece of advice would be to don't underestimate Google and the power and influence that it can have over your business. Mm-hmm. So that would be that would be the channel that I'd be looking at and the advice that I'd give to people that were starting mm-hmm. out. So or trying they're, to, they're, to they're more, exactly, because they're, they're more bottom of the funnel. Sure. channel and when you look at the facebooks and the twitters it's just about awareness and you know top of the funnel okay very very good answers there okay are there any books resources tools you'd recommend to store owners looking to to become like you guys hit the 10 million revenue mark do you have any resources or, or books so from a, a marketing perspective for me yeah. i keep in touch with, with the seo and sem blogs search engine land search engine watch places mm-hmm. like that consultancy smart yeah. insights mm-hmm. and i take pride in keeping up with google webmaster uh, webmaster guidelines as well making sure that we're monitoring when those change but from a sort of business perspective perhaps uh, sam's read some probably very influential books i'm sure i i possibly haven't actually i just rely on justin <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the marketing resource i need yes guru okay right okay so before you 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 say your goodbyes um can you give our listeners one parting piece of advice please each of you mine would be that in difficult times try to hold on to your marketing budget Mm. i think if you if you stop marketing your business potentially will stop growing that's good good answer jocelyn and I think mine would be listen to your customers, hmm. uh, not only verbally, but listen with regards to analytics. What are they doing on their website? Where are they Where are they getting the most from your website? Where are they not getting any value from your website? So listen to them both verbally and via their actions. Two very, very, very good questions, um, good answers there. Um, marketing, be persistent with marketing and um, also tracking and reporting and looking at your customers seeing what your customers are doing while so so it's really keeping an eye on the marketing which should be persistent very very good good answers that connect okay so finally guys um if um anyone wanted to reach you um what would be the best way to to do that um are you on twitter linkedin do you hang out on any social media channels or what would be the best way to, to get in touch with with either of you for me personally, the best way of getting hold of me is on my email address, which is sam.hayward at virginiahayward.com. Okay. Okay. Yeah. For me, you can get in touch with me at my email address here, which is justin.warmsley at virginiahayward.com. Alternatively, I'm pretty, I, I use LinkedIn a lot. So if you just uh, search for my name on LinkedIn, I'm sure you'll be able to find me through there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and um, sharing with me and my audience um, about seasonality and digital marketing. I really appreciate you, you coming on the show. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. To get hold of the show notes and all reference links that we talked about over the show, be sure to go to 2xecommerce.com. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do not forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes and it helps push us out there. See you on the next episode and have a good one. Cheers. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kuhn Lay Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.